Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. All right, what is going on? My name is Bromo. There is a way out. My sobriety date is 21709. Should I get there? And we always need to say that. Man, I'm coming up on 15 years. It's the greatest day of my life on that day. I am not an expert. I don't have a certificate or anything like that. I am an alcoholic. All I really have is experience of life and uh, doing these podcasts. I finally finished my share after about 14 (laughs) of these long segments. And I've been putting people on, which I believe big time is the strength of my podcast. And today, there's a fellow that I've been trying to reach for about six years. When I was doing my podcast, when I lived in Minot, uh, and then, of course, I had to shut down my podcast after I got basically let go from the company that was at, but I was able to bring my podcast over here, and I've talked him into being in today, and his name is Keith. You want to go as Keith or your full name? Or are you just Keith? It, it doesn't matter. I just, Keith, Keith's fine. Keith, Keith Lankenship, it doesn't matter to me, bud. Keith is uh, calling me from San Diego. How's the weather out there? Is it still raining like uh, cats and dogs out there? We had a little break today. It's looking nice, finally. Sun's out. Uh, looking forward. A uh, couple days of nonstop rain, but, uh, you know, still have quality problems out here, bud. First of all, what is your sobriety date? 22207. A couple days after yours, and uh, if I'm fortunate to make it uh, next uh, two weeks ish, I'll have uh, 17 years, bud. God. That is something else. And uh, your choice of drug was uh or alcohol was uh drinking yeah alcohol and then uh offset it with uh copious amounts of uh accelerants uh started with just you know some cocaine and then switched over to methamphetamines but uh you know everything starts and ends with the with the drink you yeah know? sure does where are you from san diego san diego grew up uh by the stadium up in a little little part of san diego called Sierra mesa um, kind of was in that bubble for a long time and then, uh, went to Mission Bay High School, bust out here and, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, San Diego has been my home. Uh, I've tried to leave a couple times, but, uh, always end up back. You are married, I believe, and you have uh, a couple of kids now or just one? Oh, I do. I have, uh, I have two, two older sons and I have a two year old daughter, uh, with my wife and, uh, life is good. I'm blessed. Uh, quality problems. We are going to talk in a couple of minutes about how I came across Keith, but uh, you want to tell everybody what you do today, now? Yeah, I'm uh, partners in some uh, amazing projects, uh, recovery-related stuff and mental health stuff here in San Diego. Um, yeah, I've been doing uh, basically was a defense contractor prior to changing my life and uh, through the course of me getting help uh, and some guidance, uh, basically came to the realization that uh, that line of work wasn't uh, conducive to me uh, not drinking and uh, decided to kind of go down a a path and uh, took some suggestions and it's led to a long-term career in in substance abuse and mental health and uh, as of December this last December I've been doing this line of work for 16 years. Let's talk about the dark days. Talk about how you were drinking and doing whatever you were doing until you finally realized, man, I got to do something. Tell us, give us a little bit of details on what that was like in your head, mentally and physically and all of that. 
Yeah, you know, it's like it's uh, kind of started real organic, you know, just kind of having fun in high school. I think I, you know, started, I smoked pot first. It was uh, the summer after eighth grade going into ninth grade. Uh, smoked a little of the pot, kind of got into that, and it was more of a weekend warrior, you know, twice a month thing for a while and kind of built steam until I was uh, probably, you know, junior in high school. It was a daily thing. Started partying a little bit here and there, doing that, and, uh, you know, it was real kind of, I was too into sports, too into other stuff to really get too crazy, and it, it seems uh, like once I graduated, uh, things just kind of took off. Uh, drinking became more and more prevalent, uh, you know, drinking three or four week um and other drugs like you know some oops kind of losing you there hello you there can you hear me yeah there you are you kind of cut out just for a second keep going you said uh, yes go ahead sorry buddy yeah so some really like starter type drugs you know alcohol and ecstasy and doing yep. that sort of dabb- dabbling a little bit of cocaine around I think it was 18, 19, um, and, and I think really once I found cocaine mixed with alcohol is when my drinking really started taking off. You, when you're doing accelerants with alcohol, you don't realize the amount you're drinking um, and uh, what it's doing to you, and you just kind of get trapped in that kind of that cycle, and it's a lifestyle. It comes with, uh, you know, the good and the bad, and uh, I, I, I excelled, or so I thought, for a long time in that life. Um yeah, did that, and uh, alcohol really started, I think, the, I think I was 20 the first time my mom called me an alcoholic. Uh, obviously, that meant nothing at the time, and kind of accepted it with open arms and thought it was amazing, uh, like I had arrived, and uh, yeah, I did that. And um, So real I quick, know, can I, uh, I stop you real quick? When, when, when you were first flagged an alcoholic, if you were like me, did you go, oh, come on, quit, quit uh, overanalyzing, quit overdoing it? Was that that your thought? Because you for sure said to yourself, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not one of those. I think what it was, yeah, I mean, I think there was part of me that if I looked looking back, I knew I was kind of trapped and I was <laughs> along that ride for a while. But, you know, I think I justified it. You know, I grew up, uh, my, my grandma was in our household and uh, she was a uh, tire down, strap her to a gurney and ship her off to a county mental health type drinker. So I, I wasn't like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it looks different. Um always been employable, always had decent jobs, you know, so I, I, it's hard to kind of latch onto those type of terms when your other examples, um, you know, even though I was young at the time, you know, getting sober back then, you know, it wasn't uh, the cool thing to do. So I didn't know anybody that was sober. I didn't know anybody that ever talked about being alcoholic. So it was like really kind of new to me. Yeah. Um, And, you know, nobody, I mean, we called a lot of people that, but but none of them got traditional help or, you know, I didn't know anybody in 12-step in recovery. So I, I didn't have, like, the example to really kind of base uh, what I needed. So all my examples were very extreme, uh, extreme medical conditions, you know, in and out for cirrhosis, uh, you know, people that would drink themselves basically, you know, crazy and end up in, like, psych wards. So I, I couldn't latch on to that. Yeah. No, I, I understand completely. When you're in that phase of drinking in your own, your in comfortable world, like you said, you were functioning with jobs and things like that. It's not a problem. Hey, I don't have a problem. I'm going to continue because it's part of my life, right? Yeah, you make it to work every day. You handle certain responsibilities. You do that, and you know, uh, your, your free time is your free time. And uh, you know, work hard, play hard. And as long as uh, the two aren't, you know, always colliding, then there's really no issue in my mind. Yeah. 
I'll tell you the thing that would always piss me off was when I would go to work and I had an alcoholic that worked there forever. She was a, um, <clears throat> she still is. She was, had many years when I worked there and she'd pull me aside and say, you know, you're an alcoholic. I said, F you, look, I'm coming to work. I'm performing. You're the one that has to go to meetings and you're so vocal about it. And it really angered me. I never took a look at myself until, of course, a couple of years later when it had to be looked at. But when someone saw you and maybe suggested to you, hey, Keith, you should back off on the booze or maybe you do you, do you ever you think maybe you drink too much. Anyone ever pose that to you? And did it make you mad? Yeah, yeah, I did that. I justified it as it was just a phase. I'm I'm super young. It's what everybody my age is doing. Um, you know, it, I'll get out of it once I accomplish X, Y, and Z. But until then, you know, I'm just uh, you know having fun. You know, it's, uh, yeah, such Southern California. It's a lifestyle. You know, no you kidding. Go through it. I I think you have to do certain things to even be called the San Diego, and you have to uh, you know, obviously you have to make it to, to Tijuana by a certain age and you have to, you know, basically basically have a DUI by a certain age or you can't really say you're a San Diegan, you know? No kidding. Um, <laughs> someone's got to take you down to TJ. Yeah, someone's got to take you down to TJ for maybe a bachelorette party and have uh, some little bambina sitting on your lap when you're totally hammered. That's when you're in San Diego. Is that right? <laughs> there's, there's a rite of passage in my mind. You know, you grow up a certain way and, you know, I think, yeah, a lot of people kind of pose that there. You know, I also kind of grew up with the belief system. It's kind of yeah. taught to me from, you know, certain family members and friends and other people's parents where, you know, you can make any decision in life uh, as long as you can afford to get out of it, you know. And so that rang true in some, like, legal situations that I had seen and this and that. But uh, yep. it didn't come true when it came to drinking. There was no uh, amount of money that could uh, be thrown at that issue that I found out later, you know. Yeah, real quick, how old are you? Uh I'm almost, I'm 43 now. I'll be 44 in March. Good Lord, I got shoes older than you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I, you know, I was really fortunate. You know, I uh, got sober at 26 and, uh, you know, haven't looked back. I had enough data uh, leading up to that with, uh, you know, some some DT shaking with surgeries and things like that. That, uh, you know, I think what happened was, is, you know, everything was fun. My experiences is that that lifestyle, in my mind, was extremely fun and then i went to sleep one night and i woke up the next day and everything was everything was trash god no kidding a, I, no kidding i know there was a i know there was a progression things started falling off way before i identified that yeah but when i noticed it it was there and, and i'd like to tell you that um once i noticed that is when i got help but to me that's when it gets dark you know when you know you're trapped yeah you're in a lifestyle that you can't break um, and you're, it's like you're holding on by a threat. And, uh, I continued like that for a long time. Oh. Um, you know, I, I, uh, switched from cocaine as, you know, my secondary kind of love to methamphetamine and, uh, that right there, um, my drinking got insane. And, uh, but I, I was able to identify with drugs that if I didn't stop, I was going to lose everything. So I, I made the decision. I stopped. I had been away from hard drugs for about a year, year and a half, right. and uh, the day came. You know, I uh, went out drinking, uh, just a normal day, and I continued drinking. Um, and I did the Mission Valley run. I started at, uh, I think, OG's, had a couple beers, went to the San Diego Brewing Company. McGregor's. And, and then ended up at <laughs> McGregor's. Yeah, that's why no, I'm dead serious. So I ended up at <laughs> McGregor's, and uh, I was trying to do the right thing, so I ordered a cab home. Um, and the cab driver, I saw it in his eyes that he had some... Uh, he was on something, so I just asked him, and uh, 
the day came and I bought a bunch of methamphetamine again oh. and I went I went basically like in a three day blackout. Uh, snapped out of it and I was at my mother's house and it was uh, all bad. And uh-huh. uh, I, I was there and I saw her and she had given me that look like a million times prior. But sometimes when she looked, that look of disappointment, um, it shattered. I realized that her face and that look matched my insides. Let me stop uh, you real quick. Let me stop you for the whole group, that for everybody that's listening. Describe that look and when you got that look for the last time, describe how you felt. It was it was just that look of it was sadness. It wasn't that she was yeah. disappointed in me, any of that stuff, because she was way past that. It was the fact that she looked like like her son's destiny was to die. Yeah, uh, with the lifestyle that that she had been seen and that I had trained her to expect. Yeah, um, I had been able to piece together a couple little moments of clarity. I was still drinking, but I was presenting better and off the hard stuff and that. And so there was a little bit of hope in her, but I shattered that over and over. So I went periods of time, um, you know, and, and I'm very fortunate. My mom found, uh, was it Alanon? You know, she was either going to kill me or kill herself. I was driving her crazy. Yeah. And, uh, Oop, did I lose you? I loved me. There you she, go. she loved me, but she wasn't going to love me to death. And, uh, that day came in that look and I'd seen it before, but this time, um, I realized that 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 emptiness that I saw in her thing and that disappointment was like uh, internally like I I finally started to feel it for myself. Wow! You know I felt I was I was it was the first time I was disappointed in me. That was the first time that I knew that um, I couldn't go any longer. You know, and, yeah. Um, it was it was. I'm not a I'm not a religious man by any means, but because of this and looking back at my process. Um, I don't, I don't believe in coincidences. I think that that moment happened at the exact wrong time. I think if it would have happened 20 minutes before, I still would have been a little too incoherent. And if it happened 20 minutes after that, I probably would have been loaded again. Wow. So I think it all, everything lined up. And because of that, you know, I was uh, able to start the process and uh, get some help and uh, end up uh, learning some spiritual principles and uh, heading in a new direction. So let's talk about your first couple of plans. Where were you going to go on your first day sober, and and what was the game plan that you had in mind? Uh, so, well, the game plan was to get help. I didn't know what it looked like. Uh, was able to find a, a program for me the next day. Got dropped off. Uh, funny little story, man. So I do not do well. I can, you know, I've, I've tried heroin. All this. I can do well on almost any drugs. The one thing that just kicks my butt is uh, benzodiazepines, Xanax, oh. all these things. What does that so do? I, what does that do, Keith? I've never, I've never experienced it, that. It, 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 to me, it's like drinking a whole bunch of alcohol. I go into blackouts. I lose like 18, 24 hours of my life if I do even one. Oh. Um, I've only done it a couple times, but it's a funny story. So my mom drops me off at rehab the next day. Uh, do my intake, come back. It's family night that night. They asked if, you know, do I mind if my mom comes? I'm like, no, nah, no problem. She's supportive. So she comes back that night and, uh, she starts crying when she sees me. And I'm like, what's wrong? Aren't you happy that I'm here? And I, they had given me benzos cause I was a seizure risk. Oh. And, uh, she started crying and she goes, you looked better when I dropped you off. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Cause I was, I was so loaded from the benzos. Oh, it makes it makes me smile. My mom and I talk about it all the time. She just <laughs> yeah. So this was rehab, correct? This is a yeah, yeah. Um, I, w- I went to a place called uh, now it's the McDonald's Center, but back then it was uh, Sharp Fist of Pacifica. Keith, um, is that still there? McDonald's Center, the twenty eight well, day, uh, the tw- the. It's, 
it's moved from UCSD and now it's over at Sharp over in Linda Vista. I didn't uh, know that. Over, no kidding. It took over. Yeah, it took over Vista Pacifica. So that's the same spot that I went through. So now it's in McDonald's. Center. So it's a 28 day re- uh, place, right? Pretty much a month. Yeah. 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 And 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 for me, it was uh, it was it was great. Um, it was enough time for me to you know I. What it was for me, it was get me out of my environment, and it gave me enough time to pull my head out of you know where right. to make a better to make to make a better decision. And you know, it was medical model, so they didn't talk about being in recovery. The staff they didn't do any of that, but there was one guy that seemed different there, and he said, "Hey, you know, if you're able to take some time off of your life and you don't have to go back to work, you should reach out to this place called. You should go take a look at Pathfinders, and we can get you down there to tour." Um, and, uh, I just, something about that clicked and, uh, cause he was the guy that I could tell maybe had been in my shoes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing with that is like there, you know, every day I wanted to drink, I wanted to drink, I wanted to get loaded yeah. for, for basically 20 something, 28, 30 days that I was there. I wanted to get loaded. Um, but it was safe where I, I, I mean, I could have, but I, I didn't, I was going to keep my, my word. I was going to give this an honest shot, but I learned just enough to kind of buy me some time. Mm-hmm. And so then that, then, uh, you know, so I decided to go to Pathfinders and I got accepted. They used to have the private thing. So I paid more. I was only going to do 90 days because I know better than everybody, you know? Yep. And, I, uh, hey, I want to stop you real quick. When you were at uh, McDonald's Center, first of all, I want to describe to everybody what it's like. It's kind of like a really fancy hotel, but it's a hospital. Uh, was Fred there, one of the counselors? No, he was at, he was at, that was when, because they were separate, he was at McDonald's Center. Okay, did, did you take music therapy when you were in there? <laughs> they didn't have music therapy there. They did a little bit of fitness stuff, they did <laughs> yeah. a little art stuff. Okay. Nothing, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, yeah, it was a lot of medical model stuff, real uh, education on two kind right. of. Right, okay. You know, neurological, but neurological systems, they did therapeutic model stuff. Um, I mean, I had, a, I had a great experience overall yeah i didn't want to be there but i stayed so it was uh you know i they, they did their job for sure i'm still sitting here today you so know? you're at pathfinders and you're thinking to your, and you said back then it was only how long well no so they had two tracks they had the the 90-day track the private track oh okay you paid, you, you paid more um so i signed up for that and then they had their nine-month program you know so started there i was only going to do a certain amount of time uh, my first day there was great i i, I pull in um, I was wearing a watch, uh, you know, pulling in my car, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, little Joe's on the porch and he just looks at me and he's just like, what are you doing here? You got a car and a really nice watch. What are you doing here? I was like, fuck great. Oh, sorry for my language. That's all right. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, uh, great, great start already. And, uh, do my intake. And I think the coolest thing that's ever happened to me was there. Um, you know, I still kind of struggled a little bit with am I as bad and do I belong? Yeah. Uh, Cause there's always worse cases. Um, so I go upstairs and you know, house one, you go upstairs, you finally see your roommate. I think I was in room two, the three man room. Uh, when you walk up the stairs on yep. the left <laughs> yep. and, uh, I meet my first roommate and he was this homeless veteran that you literally scrape. They scraped him out of the gutter. Yeah. Like the definition of everything you've seen on TV, everything you've heard about, you know, you think about it, this, he was indigent, you know, just, yep. just a wreck. Yeah. A mess. And so I'm sitting there like, what am I doing here? This isn't me. This is not my life. I, I, I'm employable. I have places to go. You know what I mean? I still had some things and it was really hard for me to like do that. And, uh, about 25, 30 minutes later, my other roommate showed up and he was a San Diego state English professor on his like seventh or eighth DUI. Oh, wow. Isn't that something? And, and I, and I sat there and I talked to both those gentlemen and I realized 
yeah, I wasn't as bad as him, but my life doesn't look as good as this guy's. I'm somewhere in the middle. Maybe I belong here. <laughs> Maybe I belong here. You know um, what I mean? And, uh, while you're settling, hey Keith, while you're settling in, you're there beginning. Uh, if you're like me, did you find yourself just despondent and like completely out of interest with the meetings, and you you, you uh, pretended like you were listening, but you really, really, absolutely didn't want to be there, and the meetings bored the hell out of you? Well, I think you know, I know your story, uh, not just from listening here, because uh, you know, I know your story very, very well, you know, from, from getting in and doing all that. So yeah. You had, a, you had a much different transition. I actually had to, once I got out of my center, I had about a four to six week wait to get into Pathfinder. So I had to white knuckle and do that. I did oh, a little wow. outpatient at the other program. I was drug testing like three days a week just to make sure I can get there. But I was going to the one o'clock meeting five days a week. Okay. Uh, I met, I met, I met the residents. I did that. Um, you know, I had a good process. So I had already kind of, I had started the steps. Uh, the day I got out of treatment, um, the next day, uh, the staff member that worked at the other center told me that Pathfinders had a Sunday men's meeting that I should check out since I was got my car back and I could do it. So I went to Sunday men's and I met my sponsor there, um, on day one, you know, I didn't know what it looked like. I just did that and, uh, ended up, uh, working with him and, uh, you know, when I talk about that, I think the big thing about this is um, the obsession to drink. I can tell you to this moment, the day it was removed from me. Um, I, you know, met this gentleman, uh, gave me a big book, told me to start kind of doing this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And on our first day, we sat underneath the fl- flagpole on the corner of Pathfinders. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. And, yeah. And he... uh we didn't talk about like drinking or not drinking. He just asked me to tell me his story, uh, tell me my, tell him my story. He told me his, and then at the very end of it, when I talked about like that darkness inside of the hole that I had in my, in my soul, um, he didn't look at me and said, "Hey, if you do certain things, you, you won't drink again." He didn't talk about it. What he did was he said, "If you follow me and do what's outlined in this book, you never have to feel like that again." Wow! And that's what it, that when when that was the first person that ever. Everybody had told me I couldn't drink again, I couldn't do drugs, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I didn't care about any of that. Um, he was the first person that told me that if I did certain things, I didn't have to feel the way I felt. Oh. And I was sold. I was sold. I was sold. I was willing to go down some rabbit path that I had no clue what was on the other side just to potentially have the chance to not feel the way I felt when I got there. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so was, you stayed there for how long? So I was only supposed to do 90 days, and then uh, I started taking the steps, and I think I got to the amends, and I made amends to my mom, you know, the Al-Anon lady who was probably ready for this day. <laughs> and I made a, I made amends to her, and I said, you know, what can I do to make everything in the past right? Um, and uh, she came back with, uh, well, I just finished all nine months at Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, cool. Uh, how did that make you feel where you go, oh, okay, uh, sure. Sure. I was, uh, I was, I was furious. I don't think I talked to her for like a couple of weeks, uh, later, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I stayed, but yep. I stayed. And, and during that course of things, like a lot of things like happened, you know, I had the, uh, you know, it was an alumni that worked in this field and he asked me to come with him on a mental health intervention just to like be back up in case, you know, some violent acts happened for this guy because of his history. So I got to watch him in work. Um, and then, you know, I was able to realize that my line of work living out of hotel rooms for a long period of time wasn't, like, safe for me. And, uh, you know, I, I think if I would have sold myself short at Pathfinders, like, 
like obviously where I'm at today would look much different if 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 I was able to maintain the sobriety that I have. So yeah, you know, I remember having to supposed to discharge in January, um, and I have almost a year sober, and then they asked me to help, you know, at nighttime to make sure nobody burned down the place and just through a real organic process, uh, ended up going back to school and one day kind of, you know, taking over the front office and working there for, for years, you know? All right. Well, now I'm, we're going to put a pause because here's where I come into play and here's why I couldn't wait to get this man on because this guy played a huge role in my life. I'm still sober because of him. I'm not trying to make this all gushy and everything, Keith, but I, I, first of all, do you remember the last time I saw you? I just want to throw that out so I don't forget. I saw you at La Mesa at a La Mesa men's meeting, and I was about ready to move to Fargo, and I was telling you this new uh, job offer I had to work at a country bebop station, and I was going to do this and that, and you were so um, helpful, and you're like, man, that sounds cool. What an opportunity, because back then, 10 years ago, I was working as a bill collector, which was one of the, no offense to bill collectors, one of the worst jobs on the planet, but I had no direction in radio at all. And I talked to you and I said, I'm scared. And you said, look, first thing you do out there, of course, is find a meeting. And I did. But I'm going to now tell everybody how I came across Keith. And this is, this is awesome. When I went to Freedom Ranch, I spent 120 something days there. And I remember these three guys from, Free, uh, from Pathfinders that came out and talked and told everybody about a, about a direction in your life that you should take when you get out of Freedom Ranch because you need another another place to go. And they and they talked about it and I like, I have no place to go and this sounds pretty good. And then I put my name on a list and I went down and I met Keith. And then I got in. I think I waited, I don't know how many days I waited and I got that call and I drove my rickety uh, car from Freedom Ranch to Pathfinders and I went in and I met with Keith. And even then, I was not happy not hip at all with life and i thought that cameras were following me and i thought i was mr big shot and i could care less if anybody went up and spoke on the podium get me out of here let me do these uh, required meetings that keith talked about the one o'clock the sundays god i hate this I, everybody seems happy and drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes but i want none of this crap because i don't belong here still Still, to this day, I thought to myself, I didn't belong here. And as I progressed at Pathfinders, I remember to this absolutely day, it was a Saturday, and it was gloomy out, and I can't tell you how long sobriety I had. I had almost a year, because I got there kind of late, remember, Keith? And when I got there, and Keith is the one that brought me over. Keith is the one that interviewed me. And I remember what you had just said a couple minutes ago. I remember two of tea i went into your office and i was blabbing about some girl that was giving me a heartache (laughs) sorry i don't mean to laugh no go ahead i I was whining away she had you you a little spun up oh she had me wrapped around her finger i mean in about a million ways and i was devastated and i talked and i almost cried and keith is just leaning back and he's got a look on his face with a smile like he's going to give me a gift. And I remember thinking, what the hell is this guy smiling at, man? My whole world is destroyed by this girl. And I spoke about 45 minutes. And he leans up and he says, well, congratulations. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, quote, it appears to me that the obsession has been lifted. You remember saying that? Yeah, yeah, I do. 
And I'll I, never uh, forget. I said, what? You go to this whole conversation, this whole sappy, long, drawn out conversation. You haven't, those weren't your words, but you haven't mentioned drinking at all. And for the first time, when I walked across the street to go back to house number two, to use that George Foreman grill to cook up a steak, I remember thinking, I am an alcoholic, and this is my life, and I do have some sort of direction. I haven't thought about drinking. Do you know that was the gift you gave me? That's awesome, man. And, and, and you know, I'd love to pretend to be God and do that, but uh, that gift was uh, given to you by something that's out there and, and, and the work that you did, even though you think you weren't doing enough. Um, I wasn't. Just enough. I wasn't doing any work. But, 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 but willingness does go in there. Obviously, you, you need to take further action and get involved in, in the program, but um, you had done enough stuff to give yourself a little bit of time mentally uh, from the obsession. So that, let me ask you this. I have loved being in radio for a long, long time, and I was telling everybody in my podcast before, the greatest thrill is in somebody telling me, hey, Bromo, I heard you on that bit last week. You made me laugh. You made my mother laugh. And that used to be the greatest compliment. Now, now is when someone tells me, quote, Romo, I heard you speak at the Freedom Ranch. I was in the second row. I'm still sober. And yeah. I heard what you said. Here's the thing, Keith. How many millions of times have you heard that from young men that have come in that you interviewed, that you watched in the same chair like me? How many guys have come up to you in the recently or whenever have told you, Keith, you helped save my life? I'm I'm extremely fortunate that, uh, you know, here in San Diego, I've been doing this type of stuff for a long time and I've been able to plant enough seeds. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do get it quite often. Um, and, and I think, you know, on, on the one side, it's very rewarding, but on the, on the back side of it, it's a very hard job. You see a lot of failures, a lot of triumphs, a lot of tragedy. Um, you know, now with that, I mean, I, I overdose. I, I, I didn't overdose, but I see more overdoses and deaths in a year than, uh, weddings I'll ever go to in my life so you know it's a lot of a lot of heartache and pain too but you know I think for me you know the reward comes years later man there's there's guys from either pathfinders or other facilities I worked or you know they didn't get it when they were with me um but I was always honest to them I try to speak the truth about the condition of you know the nature of their condition and then I'll see them like seven eight nine years later like at a grocery store yeah and and uh they'll come up to me and they're like hey Keith you know you know, I just wasn't ready then, but when I was ready, all the things you were trying to tell me came back. And yeah. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate everything you were trying to do. And then they'll tell me their story. They're like, hey, I've been sober for four years. I got my kids back. I'm in a union or an accountant, whatever it looks like. And, you know, I, I you know, I just all those things you were trying to do, like I'm, I'm thankful for. And, and when I was ready, that information was there and I was able to, you know, I think it's just, uh, it's, and you just don't know when it's coming. And it usually comes to me when I need it the most. Wow, you know, that's uh, incredible. Kind, yep. of, kind of a god shot, you know. Uh, I get wrapped up into my own problems and thinking about Keith all the time and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, something like that will happen or on those lines. It kind of just, uh, you know, it's kind of bring it home that, uh, you know, this is a, it's bigger than just me, you know. Well, let me, let me bring back one other memory, and this is one that changed my life a million percent. This is when I was still, still wondering uh, where was my life going and wondering, you know, why I'm here? What was me? I felt sorry for myself. And you remember this. And it was a moment that I'll never forget. And I'm not trying to sound this, make this dramatic, but that's what it was. We were all at our morning meditation kind of 
There must have been 30 of us. Keith, what do you think? 30 of us for the for yeah. for all the guys that were in the house houses. I want to say I want to see Pathfinders at the time had 42 men. I think you're right. And we were all in a circle. This is gloomy early in the morning. I believe it was bef- after breakfast. We're given inspirational books or whatever, and we're all going around the room, kind of just giving uh, are everybody. You, are, you, are you about to talk about Rob? I sure am. Uh, go ahead. No, no, it's a good one. No, I want you to tell us what happened. I, I, so all we knew was this guy that I had gone through the whole house one, house two, house three with, and he and I would sit out and smoke cigars. I would smoke cigars, and, and he and I would talk about what, what, what life was going to be afterwards. And we still didn't know, but he had a son. But go ahead, tell us about what happened that day. I'll never forget you know, it. Yeah, you know, I just it's it's just the the tragedy and, and kind of stuff too. I, uh, you know, I remember just going on the pass and uh, gentleman, uh, you know, relapsed and uh, got to a spot where I think just with the failure and that and the, the darkness that the alcoholic who uh, struggles kind of goes through made the ultimate sacrifice and. Uh, you know that hit that hit home to a lot of you guys. I remember you guys. Was it you and him used to just like smoke cigars or whatever. He'd smoke a cigarette or something. Yeah. You guys spent a lot of time together, and um, you know, I it hit home for me is uh, he was part of my my kind of sponsorship group. He was uh, attached in through my group of guys and all that stuff. So you know, it it, it hit us home uh, too that uh, you know it's uh, jails, institutions, and death, and uh, it's 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 the grave nature of our condition. You know and um, yeah. You know, it uh, really kind of, you know, there's some things that, that I hate they, they used to say, but it makes true. It's uh, the sad part of it is that some of us will die so the rest can live. Um, yeah, so but I, true. But I, also, but I also know that there's there's the help out there for, for everybody that um, nobody else has to die. You know what I mean? Um, but it does take the ability to, to, to be honest and uh, to be willing to practice uh, a new way of life Um and there's multiple forms, you know, no way do I want to say that uh, 12-step recovery is the only way. I know people that have changed their lives in other forms that have a quality of life they've never known. Um, but there's a couple core components that you have to do. You have to do to maintain that. Yeah. Um, and the big one that happens, you know, I think it's, you know, people ask for help. People um, do the soul-searching needed. They come up with a game plan. But it's that maintenance, uh, being a service to other people, doing things without, you know, ulterior motives, um, learning, like we fail. I've, I've made more bad decisions and, and mistakes sober than I did when I was loaded. And, uh, I, I have a process now where I don't want to continue to treat people that way. I don't want to continue to make those same decisions. So I have to do like things on a daily basis and reflect on days and kind of look at that, you know, and, um, you know, people, I think too, that <clears throat> don't get into that kind of thing. And they, they, when, when life gets good, they basically kind of, you know, thank us for all the information that we've given them over the years, but they got it from here. And uh, a lot of those people go down dark paths. Yeah. The insanity, the disease, disease had taken Rob's life. He, he took his life. And uh, with that, when, when uh, Keith came in with that announcement, I mean, it was quiet and we looked at each other and a lot of us were like, couldn't believe it. And I was mortified. And I said to myself real fast, dude, if you don't get busy and this is real, there's like, once again, there's no cameras behind me. There's no blonde waiting to pull up with a suitcase of money and cigars and say, "Hey, here's your reward." I knew if I didn't, get, if I knew that if I got out of Pathfinder soon and I wasn't doing anything, and this is the weird thing: when you made that announcement, within seconds, I knew I could have been heading that way. Uh, any of one of us could have been. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I think the the thing is, too, is especially for people that, you know, if you fail before, a lot of people get in that rut, like, hey, I, I, I failed before, I know I'm going to fail again, so why not just, you know, get it started now? And it's a bunch of BS. Uh, if you come in willingly and honest, like, you have the same chance as the first time you ever showed up. I you agree. Know? And, and, you, and you don't know unless you put in the work. And, uh, you know, for, for, for alcoholics, it's a little bit different. You know, it is. Uh, what it does to our body takes more time and does this, but just to talk about like recovery in general with this. And I, I think I bring it up just cause it's the line of work and I deal with it, but I, I carry Narcan in all my backpacks. I put it in my wife's car, my car. I give it to the stores around where I live. Nice. Um, you know, I remember when, when I was getting sober and probably the same time as you, you hear about these people overdosing from heroin, but almost all of them were trying to kill themselves. They were doing a hot shot. They had, they had relapsed or the girls left them and they were making the ultimate sacrifice. Most of them. But now with this new stuff that's out, people, like very few people are trying to, but they're playing Russian roulette. Some street chemist is out there yeah. rolling the dice doing this, and we're losing people at just astronomical rates. And, um, you know, that's why I kind of pledge the fight and, and look at it and, and say that, you know, it's that, uh, you know, nobody else has to die. There's so much help out there. And, um, you know, whether you reach out to me or you or anybody, there's literally millions and millions of people that have changed their lives that are, that are there. And we give up our time freely to help somebody because we've been in your shoes, you know? Yeah. Um, look at jelly roll. Look, look at what uh, he's been doing, uh, with, uh, his path from North. He came here in North Dakota not long ago. Then he went to Washington to see, to see, he's talking about fentanyl and all that stuff. And, and to me, he's got my utmost respect. Hey, you said you, you mentioned earlier, you actually, do you actually do remember when I was in the house and you saw me when I first came in? Was I beat up? What was I like? I can't even remember. I mean, I can remember certain things. You were a little frail, a little frail. You know, <laughs> you'd come off of a pretty good one. Good. And, 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 and the crazy thing is, is that was, uh, shoot, you had been at the ranch for 120, 130 days yeah. or something, right? Yeah, I sure had. And, uh, and, uh. And, and that means you were getting better when I saw you, and I still was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember you finally let what, me know that what, I could come What was over. that? What, was that like a, a samurai or a sidekick you used to drive? Yes, it was a beat-up piece of you-know-what. And um, I loved I loved that thing, man. I was jealous of that car. I loved that thing. I it was a why. Honda Accord, I think, <laughs> that I bought. You know what is funny, Keith? It was a Honda Accord that I bought off a guy because they were about ready to repo my old car. And uh, this was years ago, uh, and I, they let me take that car out to the ranch, and I was able to bring it over to your place. And uh, some of the people that lived in the house had cars because the Pathfinders now, they let you go during the day, man. They say, hey, go out, uh, you know, uh, when you get to the third house, you can work, I believe, right, Keith? That's what it was back then. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a natural progression, you know, and uh – it was great. The first, first, you know, first house. They, you know, you need to focus on, on, on the basic fundamentals of, uh, you know, getting sober and doing that. And then house two, you were able to start experience a little bit more of life. So you can, uh, you know, they believe that it was healthy for you to make good and bad decisions and have a safe platform to come back and figure out how to continue the good things and and, and change the bad things. Yeah. Um, and then in, in, in phase three, you know, your next step was like a real kind of push for like self-sufficiency because you're back in the real world. And, uh, you know, you look at it too. I mean, drug medical has changed a lot here in California, so it's not the programs it used to be. But back then, That's statistically speaking, statistically speaking, I would, I don't have the data, but I would put it up, man, that people that went through the, did the 90 to 120 at the ranch, 
and they did nine months at Pathfinders probably had the highest outcome rate in California. Uh, I just, if you look at the success between the two, you know, just the containment up there in 90 to 120 days, so just think about you and find out the truth about yourself and then coming down to Pathfinders for an extended period of time and like learn how to, you know, put practical application in um, and, and, and get there. I know more guys that did that combo that are still sober today than probably any, any other process that I've ever been across. Well, not you know? to be not to be a bummer, but this is where I want you to tell everybody really the reality. Even back then, when you see 45 guys, and I told you uh, in one of my podcasts before, my old teacher at Freedom Ranch would say, look around the room, guy. Look around the room, guys. You look around the room. Out of 40 of you, the odds are, and the facts are, out of 40 of you, about three of you will be sober maybe in a year. Most of you, some of you will be in jail or, or, or death or on the streets. Do you believe in that? Well, looking back, I mean, uh, at the year mark, there was way more than that. Just my experience. Yeah. But as you got into like five and ten, um, yeah. you know, you got to think from when I was in the houses, not working there, but when I was uh, a resident in the houses, uh, probably came across 70 different guys, 80 different guys that came through at, during that time that I was a resident, those nine months, probably saw 80 different faces. And uh, right now, I can name... Three or four, isn't that something? That are still that are still still tracking the track with me, you know. Isn't that something? Yeah, and and and, and you know, it, it doesn't mean you know some of them doesn't mean they don't have quality of life. They just didn't go down the the, the track the track we are, and some of them got back on track. I think the good thing too is the, the best thing about Pathfinders and the Freedom Ranch man is. is uh, even if you're going to drink, they really mess up that next next drink. You know, you might, what do they say? There's nothing worse than a belly full of booze and a head full of AA, and they accomplished <laughs> yeah, that there. Right. That, 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 you know, what did I used to tell you guys? I, I can't promise you that uh, I'll get you sober, but I guarantee you I'll mess up your first drink. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, there's so many things that Keith would tell us would piss me off. And Tim, Tim the cook, when he was... Uh, in charge of our house meeting, we'd have a house meeting once a week, and he came over to house two, and we'd sit around and listen. Maybe no, sorry, house three. Now that I'm thinking about it, house three, and he would tell us, "Look, I know I'm going to drink someday, but for today, I'm relative. I'll be quiet. Look with that. I'm so sick and tired of hearing you say that. Look, if you're so positive with that attitude, Tim, go down the street and drink at that bar that gives you a token for anybody who breaks their sobriety and who gives you a free pitcher of beer if you bring a token in." And he would tell me, he'd just smile. And I realized later, the guy's absolutely uh, right. Sparkies. Old Sparkies. Oh, boy, yeah. That, this is a bar, <laughs> Keith will tell you, if you bring a token in of any kind, they'll give you a free pitcher of beer. They still do, they still do that, maybe? I, it's, it's been something else for a long time. Oh, I, has yeah, it? I don't, think that's, I don't think that's a practice anymore. Um, Good. You know, uh, it's, uh, yeah, but, uh, Pathfinders has been such a staple and such a big part of that community that everybody's advocates for him. You know? but, but you believe what Tim was telling me was absolutely right, and it took me years until I figured out he was right because he would grin when I get all mad. He'd say, hey, look, I'm going to drink someday, but for today, because it's so much pressure thinking about never drinking again in your life, but for today, for today, I'm Tim pretty was, sure. Uh, Tim was a, a wealth of knowledge, man, and as a resident, I didn't uh, understand it as much, but when I started working there... And, Tim and I did that. I, I I started to value that man's word. Me too. More than anybody anybody would know. I think oh, really? Gems. They were, he was just putting little gems. He wasn't there to be our father. He wasn't there to be our sponsor. He was there to just kind of 
put a couple little nuggets in us at a time that, that one day they would click and he'd understand, you know, and uh, he, looking back, he did so many of those. And the men he was able to help and affect while he was there was just, just amazing. Such a staple. Well, listen, I know you got to get going pretty soon, but I'm going to wrap it up. I just want you to say a couple things for one thing. For one thing, tell everybody again real quick what you do for a living. I, I work in substance abuse and mental health treatment. So awesome. What is your favorite and part of your job? For, oh, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, I just wanted to put it out there, you know, for, uh, for people that, uh, you know, have changed their lives and want to get into this line of work. Um, yeah. The thing that's of utmost, important, of, uh, utmost importance is to know that uh, just because I work in this field and do that, this has nothing to do with my personal journey. Um, it's, it, it is how I keep my lights on. There's some amazing things that I get to see. I get to help a lot of people. Um you know, but but how I say healthy is what I do outside of here. You know, oh, absolutely. Um, you have your you have your own program and your own journey. Sure, I, I've watched more people come in here and do this line of work, and next thing you know, they think it's a suitable substitute for their own program. Yeah, and uh, the day comes. You know, absolutely. So, um, if you're going to get, it, I'm not telling you not to do this line of work, but make sure that what you're doing outside of here uh, supports you staying in here. Hey, you're battle ready, right? I mean, yeah, with your yeah. own program. I mean, uh, so I was asking, what is your favorite part of your job? I think the dynamics of the team. Uh, you kind of create uh, a system in place where the whole goal is to, to help people that aren't able to make the decisions to do it for themselves. And we kind of guide them in the process to get them back and reintegrate back into society um, when they've lost, you know, whether it's finances, jobs, personal relationships, um, health, you know, um, and really kind of get them to a spot where they can get back on track and, and live a meaning, meaningful and, you know, fulfilling life. All right. Lastly, pretend like I'm brand new in front of you and I just got off the streets and I'm raw and I'm a bromo from 15 years ago uh, or a Dave Brandon from 15 years ago. What is it that you tell people, you can tell my audience this, about getting sober and what the rewards are and and what would you say to them right now? Just first off, you know, first of all, I've been in your shoes. I know the despair. I know the trials. I know the pain. I know the spring. Um, I have good and bad news, but there's a lot of hope. Um, the bad news is, is that it's a lifelong process. But but in return, if you're willing to do that process, um, I went from being addicted to drugs and alcohol and a lifestyle, and today I'm addicted to stability. I enjoy not looking at those loved ones and telling them I failed. I love being accountable and being here for, you know, my work. I love knowing the fact that I got sober before I had kids, and my kids never have to see me that way. And if you, uh, you know, want a chance at that, um, there's millions of people that are willing to give you their time freely to show you the process that we took to get that help. Wow. That's pretty heavy. And I have to tell you, on a personal note, first of all, thanks for taking the time out of your day because you're at work. Second of all, thank you for being who you are because, like, I, you may poo-paw this when you hear it, whatever that means, but you are one of the main reasons why I became sober and changed my life around because I wasn't going anywhere. And well, I, I appreciate that, man. And uh, Of I, uh, course. You know, I just, uh, uh, super proud of you, man. You know, it's, uh, I know I don't talk to you a lot, but talk about you often and just kind of where you were and where you're at. And just, uh, you know, the, you really got to think about it as in the fact that, uh, most people that lived the life you lived prior to getting into this don't have the outcomes you have because of their past reservations and thinking that, uh, 
you know, that, that kind of that fall, but you were able to kind of do it real systematically. And, you know, this is about being happy, you know, and uh, I can just go on forever about the progress you've made, man. I'm super proud. I of you. appreciate Everybody that. Does. And I can I tell you, I can tell you forever. You, I'll tell you that. Oh, you're kind. And I can tell you forever the memories that flash by when I think of you and Pathfinders. I think of you and Sundays watching Baltimore as you rooted on Joe Flacco. I remember you walking across the street with that big, huge keychain spinning around. I remember you telling me that you were coming up on how many years you were sober. I remember watching you go over to House 2 where you lived for a while. I remember you telling me, quote, congratulations. It appears to me the obsession has been lifted on you, and that is the greatest gift I've ever been given. And I tell that to everyone that I, that I talk to. So thank you, Keith. That's, that's amazing, man. Yeah, no problem at all. I love you to death. Thanks for uh, having me on. I'm glad uh, the stars aligned and we were able to make it happen. And uh, you're doing amazing things on this podcast. And, oh, uh, you're awesome. Look forward, look forward to listening to all of them. Thank you so much. Buddy. Yeah, hang on real quick. Don't go anywhere. And that's it. That's, that's another amazing person that I have on and I've wanted to get him on forever again if you feel like your life is maybe becoming unmanageable someone else that you know maybe a a neighbor or loved one I'm telling you I'm telling you that you can do this with help turn your life around listen to all these podcasts because remember there is a way out